A Harvard professor did a 72-year-long study not too long ago. And the whole study was about this. Tell me this is not like the most broad category of studies ever for a research thing. The whole thing was he was going to try to find out what made people happy. <laughs> it's like incredibly broad. Um, all right. But I know, right? <laughs> it took 72 years. But the guy who directed it, he did it the whole, for a long time. His name is George Vallant. And when asked like what he learned after this whole crazy long study, here's what he said. He said, the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships to other people. After 72 years of studying what makes people happy, he said relationships are really what matter. Um, and in the last two decades, scientists have discovered that's, that's even true for our brains. Um, another guy who does research uh, in neuroscience named Daniel Goleman summarized it this way from what he's seen. Uh, the most fundamental revelation of the discipline, discipline of neurobiology is that we're wired to connect. Neuroscience has discovered that our brain's very design makes it sociable, inexorably drawn into an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage, we engage with another person. I think it's kind of fascinating because, I, like Lucas talked a few weeks ago about kind of the Bible, like stating scientific facts and kind of giving us things that we kind of almost had to catch up to about oceanography and that kind of thing. I think it's kind of cool that it took neuroscience a couple thousand years to catch up to what the Bible's been telling us uh, for a long time, that we were and that we are designed and created for community, that we're created for um, meaningful relationships. Uh, You don't have to turn there tonight. Um, We'll be kind of all over the Bible with a few different things, but in Genesis, you think about the beginning, the creation story. right? In Genesis 126, uh, God says, let us make man in our own image, right? And then you flip down a little bit more to when he creates Adam. God looks at Adam and says, what? It's not good that man should be alone, right? I will make him a helper fit for him. You know, that story is usually involved with discussing marriage because God made Eve for Adam. But I think there's a more like foundational principle there, not just about marriage, but about the fact that, like you hear before, no man is an island, right? We're not made to be a lone ranger in life, that it's not good for us to be alone, that we need each other and we need community. We're made for deep relationships. Looking at that, um, Genesis 126 again, God said, let us make man in our own image. God used a plural for himself because we know that as the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God, even in his very nature, is a community, right? And so God being community made us in his own image to be a community ourselves and be within community. If you look at the New Testament, there's actually 59 one another commandments in the New Testament that tells us to interact with each other as Christians with things like love and unity and humility. And there's countless other sections of scripture that talk about the importance of treating another uh, well and with love. And so the Bible we see takes our personal relationships really, really seriously. And so that's why for the next five weeks, uh, we're going to do a study of relationships and all the different facets of those. And so I want to kind of give you an overview where we're going for the next five weeks and go from there. Um, But this week we're going to talk about the art of friendship, what it means to be a good friend, uh, what we should look for in our friendships, and we'll unpack a lot more from there. But next week we're going to talk about biblical principles for dating and marriage and and that angle of relationships. And so Valentine's Day is Sunday, so get ready for that next week, right? Um, The 24th we're going to um, talk about biblical manhood and womanhood. And what does it mean for us to be created as a man and a woman? And how are we supposed to interact in that kind of way? And Colby and uh, Mama T are going to be coming in that night. Talk about that. And then 
On March 2nd and March 9th, we're going to um, spend two weeks talking about what is a very controversial, very hot topic thing in society right now, but I think a, a thing that we really need to, to know how to think biblically through, and that's homosexuality. We're going to spend two weeks uh, discussing homosexuality. So the first week, we're going to talk about homosexuality in the Bible and what Scripture says about that. The second week, we're going to talk about homosexuality in the church and how we as, as Christians should respond and inter- interact within this culture um, that has uh, redefined a lot of things when it comes to sexuality. So we'll, we'll get to that later, um, but I believe it's going to be very, very helpful, and so um, that's going to be coming up soon. But that's kind of the big picture of where we're going for the next five weeks. But um, let's talk about friendships tonight. And so I'm, I'm going to give you a few things here. I'm excited about this, though. I think it's going to be a really helpful message for you. Um, I know we're going to cover some principles that I just see a lot of people struggling with in a lot of different ways. So let me give you this as we start talking about relationships, all right? You probably know this, um, but I have your outline for you tonight. But here's the thing. Our relationships have deep impact on us, right? Does anyone disagree with me on that? I don't think anyone disagrees that our relationships impact us in really deep ways. Um, They play a huge role in determining what kind of person we become. And so if you'd like to, um, you can flip to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. We're going to be kind of bouncing back and forth through a few different passages tonight. And so if you don't get the chance to look it up, it's okay. I gave you the scripture references to look up and make sure I'm not making this stuff up because I'm not. But um, Proverbs 13, 20 says this. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. I'll read it again. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And so we see that if you want to become wise, you need to walk with the wise, right? Surround yourself with wise people. If you want to be a fool and find yourself in harm, surround yourself with fools, right? And so here's the principle we're going to come back to. You're going to hear me say this over and over again tonight. It's this. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's going to be a principle we come back to over and over again. Show me your friends and and I will show you your future. Because here, here's a truth that studies have shown time and time again, is that you are the average of your five closest friends. That may terrify you, right? <laughs> I think about some of my friends, I'm like, man, that's scary. But you're the average of your five, clo- so think in your mind right now, who are your five closest friends? Who are the people that are closest to you? <laughs> and the, tr- the truth is, you're probably the average of those people. Th- their finances, their morals, their goals, their grades even, right? You become like those that you're closest to. Wait, so does that mean that... <laughs> Jacob's already like, uh oh. So like, one of, so your best friend, so them being an average of their five closest friends, uh-huh. includes you being an average of their five closest friends. Uh-huh. Does that mean that they're the average of the people Yes. So your average... Society's very complicated, Jacob. Averages include each other's averages. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's continue. Let's continue. You should go find a sociologist and ask them about that, all right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's move it back in. <laughs> Jacob's going to blow all our minds with that. But, but I think you get the principle, right? Relationships, yes. That you, really, the people that you surround yourself with, that you're closest to, have a profound impact on you. And so if you've got a group of friends who are seeking after the Lord, who are servant-hearted, who are striving after Christ, good chances are you're going to become like them. If you've got friends who are you know, cooking meth in their house and selling it, to, selling it to fifth graders in their backyard, you know, like, 
you probably, you probably should get rid of those friends, right? But I know no one has friends that extreme. But you become like those that you surround yourself with. And so we've got to be really careful when we look into our core group, and we'll unpack that more later. Um, but here's the thing. I think, starting to talk about friendship, here is a fact I think we all can agree with, is that we're not very good at friendship anymore these days. Uh, we're not. And uh, let's talk about a definition. You're, you're still in Proverbs. Um, flip to Proverbs 17, 17, really quick. Uh, let me give you a definition of friendship, all right? But my definition is coming from a different translation. This is the FBV, all right? Different translation. It says, a friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your posts in order to make you feel good about yourself. It's Proverbs 17, 17, the Facebook version, all right? And so that's not, obviously not real, okay? But honestly, if you think about it, <laughs> you're like, what? My book? <laughs> it's in the Greek, man. It's in the original Greek. No, here's it. That's not legit for sure, but... Sadly, things like social media have redefined the way we think about friendships these days, right? We'll talk about that more later. But look at, for real, Proverbs 7, 17. It says this. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So we see true friendship, according to Scripture, is someone who loves at all times. Not just times that are good, not just times when they can... You know, when you're fun, not just times that everything's going really well for you and, and you're fun to be around and they can get some benefits from you. No, a true friend is someone who's there with you in all times. And they're like a brother or like a sister who's born. Like they're there from the get-go with the heart to be there with you even in adversity. But the problem is, is that that's a very different definition than what we have of a friend uh, these days in culture. And like I mentioned last week, according to American Sociological Review, the average American only has two close friends these days. And 25% of Americans have none. They have no close friends. And so I think we're living in social poverty in our culture, but the question is why? So why do you think we have this problem with friendships these days? What what do you think? What are some reasons you got? Repeat the question. Oh, why do you think we have such a problem with building good friendships these days? And why do you think so many people don't have many close friends. Yes. Jessica, what you got? Mm. Mm. Yeah. For sure. Bubble. <laughs> and I think that's related... I think that's related to these, and we'll get to that in a second. But, um, tr- mm-hmm. Charlie, what you got? You guys are like writing my sermon for me right now. This is good. All right, Hannah, what you got? No. That's like so sad. Wow. Man, that's crazy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally Google that now. So, all right, okay. Well, I totally agree with all those things you said, and we're actually gonna talk about most of those things. But I think let me let me give you two kind of big picture reasons, and we'll unpack a lot of what you said because it was great. 
um, is this. I think the first one is maybe busyness, like which we're going to spend a whole three weeks talking about busyness later on in the semester after spring break. So um, be looking, I guess you're looking forward to busyness. I don't know. Like it's coming up. So, but you know, we have class. We got part-time jobs. Some of y'all work full-time jobs. Uh, you're involved in lots of clubs and organizations. We're always on our way to be somewhere, right? I don't think that's necessarily bad that we're really active, but I think sometimes we, we use that busyness. Like you ever talk to someone and be like, hey man, how you doing? I'm just busy. You know, how things going? I'm just busy. It's almost like these days it's, it's a trophy to be like, if you're not busy, you're not worth anything. You know, like, so. Especially during finals week. Especially during finals week, which one, one time I, I bought a, a Nintendo Wii during finals week and that's a terrible idea. So anyway, that's a totally different story. So that's the first thing. I think we use our busyness almost as an excuse sometimes to push out deep relationships. The second thing, which y'all said like this, social media. And I'm not bashing on social media. I think it's great. I think it can be very beneficial. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I'm not on Snapchat, sorry, but um, I don't really do. I don't Snapchat too much. Um, I had it for a while, but I didn't really understand it. That was the first time I ever felt old in like the world was when I got on Snapchat and didn't understand it. So anyway, so I'm not against that, but I think there's some problems that come along with it, like you guys mentioned. Um, Think about this, like eons ago, before like social media didn't exist, Imagine you're eating lunch. You're like, you know what? I think all my friends need to know about this awesome Chipotle bowl right now. So you pick up your phone and you're like, hey man, I'm eating some really good Chipotle. Here, take, look, look at this and take a picture, send it to him. You call someone else. Hey, I'm eating some really good food right now. You should like check this out. And like you call all your friends and let them know about the awesome Chipotle bowl you're eating. Like, yeah, right. But that's pretty much what we do now. Like when I post an Instagram about my lunch, I'm just pr- like broadcasting to all my friends. Hey, look at this awesome food I'm eating right now. It's just... I'm not against it, but it's just kind of strange if you really think about it. It's just weird what we do. And um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but it's just we, we live in a different culture when it comes to like what a friend is. But here's what I think the dark side of it is, is that um, as a culture, we're becoming less and less concerned about deep face-to-face real relationships, and we're becoming more concerned with the online image of what people think we are. Uh, we'd rather post online about how we're feeling than actually sit down and talk to someone who's going to respond in face-to-face conversation. You ever notice that some people don't even know how to talk on the phone now because we text so much? Because like with texting, I can edit like I'm gonna, what I'm going to say, and like if you send an awkward question, I can think like for 15 minutes what I'm going to say, and I can turn off the notification so you don't see that little bubble that pops up. You know what I'm like thinking about what to say? And we can totally like groom ourselves and, and like edit out our imperfections, right? But you can't do that on the phone. You sure can't do that in real life, Right? And so we're living in this culture where we're, we're so good at crafting an image of who we are when it's not really who we are. And so we get this filter we put on, no you know, pun there, filters, but we put this filter over everybody that makes everything, we just want to make ourselves all that we're great. We get it all figured out, we go on vacations that we don't really go on, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's harming our relationships. And, and Caitlin, what do you got? There's actually this, this is like me geeking out here, but Fascinating. That just says so much about our man. Gosh. All right. Well, here's the thing, though. 
a good principle for social media before we move on. I think social media should always be a springboard to real relationships, not a replacement for actual relationships. It can be a benefit, but it should never replace our actual relationships. And so with that in mind, let's talk about a little bit about how we, we should respond to this. So I, I got a few sets of three. You guys know I like lists and stuff. And so I've got a few things for you. I've got three sets of, um, or three ways we can be better friends with each other. <laughs> Sounds kind of cheesy, but we'll unpack it. It's more than cheesy. I mean, three kinds of friends you need in your life, and then two friends you don't need in your life. All right, sounds like we're going to be here for hours. I promise we're not. Um, but we're going to kind of scan through this. I really think this is going to be really helpful for you. Okay, so let's look at this first. Three ways to be a better friend. Super simple sounding, but I really believe these are incredibly helpful. They've been really helpful for me um, as I've learned them. Honestly, let me just say, like, I'm in no way an expert on friendship. <laughs> I've learned so much through trial and error. I've learned so much through, like, not being a good friend that I want to impart some of this to you and especially some biblical principles I think are helpful. So think about this. The first one I want to give you is this. Uh, be present. All right, be present. So in 2010, a team at the University of Michigan led by psychologist Sarah Conrath put together the finding, findings of 72 studies that were conducted over a 30-year period. They found a 40% decline in empathy among college students with most of that decline in empathy happening after the year 2000. Uh, the researchers found that the students were not developing friendships the way they used to. Here's what one teacher observed. The students sit in the dining hall and look at their phones. When they share things together, what they are sharing is what's on their phones. Is this the new conversation? If so, it is not doing the work of the old conversation. The old conversation taught empathy. These students seem to understand each other less and less. That's just crazy. I mean, how many times have you been in the FERG? I can't count how many times I've been in the FERG. I've seen two people sitting down for lunch together, and the whole lunch is kind of like this, you know. Either Snapchatting or like, you know. And it's, we sit there and we're physically pr- present, but we're never actually present emotionally. You, know, you go to Starbucks on campus, and everyone's in line, and what are they all doing in line? No one's talking to anybody. We're just here, right? The line's out the door, but they're all doing this. You go to the bus stop. What's everybody doing? I guess some of that's to block out any awkward conversations you might have with someone. You know, Lord forbid you talk to someone at the bus stop. But like, um, I get that. It's like a filter. But really, I think what's happening is we're becoming a very unavailable people. If you've gone to the north much in some big cities, it's really prevalent there. There's people just, there's no sense of communication and like just kind of random anymore in public. Um, I think that affects even our, our normal relationships. Now, here's a principle for you, all right? I think one of y'all mentioned this. Um, I think Charlie maybe, but we need to develop our friendships face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumb, all right? Face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumb. Think about Christ. During his ministry on earth, he spent lots of time with people. He traveled with them and ate meals with them. He got to know them. Jesus didn't give his 12 disciples a book. Say, hey, read this. Like, read about me if you want to know much about me. And then if you have any questions, you can come back later, right? Jesus didn't do that. He spent time with people, right? He shared meals with them. He spent long times on the road with his disciples. And if you look in the book of Hebrews, uh, if you want to turn there, um, I gave it to you on your sheet. But Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Um, you can look that up if you'd like to. I'll give you a second. But Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. All right, it says this. It's a common verse you may have heard before. But it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's in the ESV, which is not the FBV. It's an actual version. But um, you see three things in there that we um, are taught from this Hebrews patches that we should do um, for each other as Christian friends. We should stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, we should meet together, spend time together, and we should encourage one another, right? But the thing is, I can't stir up one another. I can't meet together. I can't encourage each other if I'm only physically present with someone, right? I have to be emotionally present with someone in order to do that. And so to do that, we have to remove distractions from our life. And sadly, things like phones are incredible distractions. A, a recent study I read shows that even if, you, if you're at lunch with someone having conversation, even if your phone's turned off, but it's on the table, it affects the way you have conversation. It affects the kind of conversation and kind of questions that you ask because you know that there's a chance that your phone could go off and you could like need to stop and look at it real quick. It affects the way your brain works because you're thinking, oh, there may be a moment I have to like look at my phone. You know, it's just fascinating. We don't understand how it affects us, um, but it really limits it sometimes from us being present. So here's what I want to encourage you to do with this and move on to the next point is that we need to make people the priority when it comes to the time we spend with them. Uh, we don't need to make the excitement of social media or the internet or whatever game is on our phone. We need to make people a priority when it comes to spending time with them. So I want to encourage you guys, um, even as you spend time together, like, you know, like, put the phone away. Or maybe, like, pick a place and you all put your phone, like, in someone's backpack. Like, just put it away. So you know what? Like, we're here spending time together. We're eating lunch. We're having coffee. We're going to put the phones away. We're going to be not just physically pleasant, physically present with each, each other, sorry, we're going to be emotionally present as well. So I want to encourage you to be present. Second thing I want to say is this. Take initiative, right? Take initiative. Um, many people these days have an expectation that people are just going to come to them and invest in them and befriend them. Uh, we don't want to take initiative because, like y'all said earlier, we're, we're afraid of being vulnerable, Right? Um, so we passively wait, and nothing ever changes. Uh, we don't develop deep relationships, and then we wonder what's wrong with our social life. But for us as Christians, think about what Christ did yet again. Jesus took initiative with us, right? He came from heaven and gave up his rightful place of glory to come to earth and live with us. He gave up the heavens to walk the dirty streets of first century Palestine, which is not the nicest vacation spot in the world, I promise. Right? And he came to reveal to us what God is like in a way we could understand. Um, we didn't deserve for Christ to come die in our place, um, but yet he did. We didn't deserve for him to go to the cross at all, but he did. And so Christ took the initiative in pursuing us. Therefore, we are freed up to take the initiative to pursue other people in relationship, right? So we can model our lives after Christ um, by taking in the initiative and developing meaningful relationships and experiencing the blessing that comes with them. Um, you know, that may involve risk, though, like I said, with exposing some of your weaknesses. It, it may involve the risk of looking lonely or maybe desperate. But to be honest, I, I think the risk is worth it because I think many, many people these days are incredibly hungry for, like, meaningful relationships and maybe don't want to admit it, uh, but, but they really are hungry for that. So I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to take the initiative. Maybe this week, uh, take the initiative to spend time with someone that you're friends with, but you really just want to grow in that relationship. Or maybe there's someone in class or someone you see kind of just throughout your week that you know just doesn't have a lot of close friends. Um, take the initiative this week and, and, and invest in somebody. Um, I wouldn't be the person I am today if it weren't for um, uh, probably three or four different people I can think of who really took some initiative 
uh, completely apart from me, to invest in me. I had a guy um, out at uh, Pine Cove, the camp I worked at, who really just kind of took me under his wing and uh, challenged me in a lot of ways that I didn't even know I needed to be challenged. And, and uh, really, I wouldn't be in ministry probably today if it wasn't for him. And he was just like, he's not even a minister. He's kind of a business guy from Houston. And he just invested in me so much. And so, um, but what, imagine what would happen if they hadn't done that. And so imagine what could happen if we don't take the initiative uh, to invest in other people. And so I want to challenge you in that way. The third thing is this. I want to encourage you to embrace vulnerability. V-U-L-N-E-R. <laughs> Ability. <laughs> vulnerability. I know someone was thinking about how to spell it. All right. So here's a principle for, th- for this, okay? This is, this is huge. All right, so we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. All right, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. If you want a biblical principle for this, turn to James. Uh, James 5.16, if you want to see this. Uh, we're studying the book of James in Sunday school this semester, and so we'd love to have you. On Sunday morning, it's my shameless plug for that. We haven't got to James 5 yet, but we eventually will. But this is what James 5.16 says. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I don't know if you've looked at that verse much before, but if you see there, it says, Therefore, and this is talking about Christians to other Christians, it says, Confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another. And then what is the implication there? Like, what happens after that? That you may be what? That you may be what? No one had it? Healed. All right, I may not have it pulled up. It's fine. So it says, confess your sins and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so I don't think that healing is just a physical healing, but I think it involves an emotional healing as well, a spiritual healing as well. Because a lot of times I think the issues we struggle with, we keep them so bottled up, we're so afraid to present our weaknesses to people, when really it's through the process of being open and being vulnerable with people that God is able to work in our hearts. And we admit, you know what, I'm screwed up, I'm broken, and I need grace, I need God to change me, I need the Spirit to work in my life. And as we're honest in that kind of way, it gives the Holy Spirit fertile ground in our hearts to work. Because like we said before a minute ago, we live in a culture that's so caught up in our online image we're scared for people to even really know our weaknesses. So we hide our sins, our temptations and battles, and we try to fight them on our own, and we never experience any victory, it seems like. And I think the big reason is because we're disobedient to this verse. Um, we're not vulnerable. I'm not saying we should be vulnerable with everyone. Like, you know, I'm not saying that Sunday Jacob should get on stage and confess his sins in front of everyone at the church, unless he wants to. Um, you know, but, but we need those significant relationships, you know, those few people we have in our life, we can be real with um, no matter what. Because um, that's just a huge principle. And, and so uh, kind of part of my story, um, I've had seasons in my life where I haven't done this principle very well. I have had seasons where I haven't really been vulnerable. Um, I've just tried to keep things comfortable and, and surface. And uh, to be honest, the main reason I did was because I was struggling with things, but I didn't want people to know. <laughs> I didn't want people to see that I had these problems, and I kind of wanted people to think I had it all put together. And that was a prideful thing in me. Um, that was selfishness in me, just trying to save face. But here's something I discovered, is that you can't switch off some emotions and expect other ones to stick around. 
you can't selectively numb emotions in your life. So I can't selectively numb things like disappointment, shame, and fear, and still expect to feel things like joy and gratitude and love. So if we're not real, we're not vulnerable with people, and we suppress those things, it works across the whole board. We're going to suppress and lose those great experiences and, and things that God wants to do in our hearts because we're suppressing all that. We're not being real with people. We're not confessing our sin, praying for each other, so that we can be healed. And the thing is, God knows that because he, he wired us this way, right? He knows that being vulnerable is an important part of our relationships. Um, we need to be real, real with people because that sets us free. He knows that relationships um, where we're known intimately with all our weaknesses and yet loved and accepted, those are fertile ground for him to do big things in our hearts. And so it's a place where we can do what James says. We can be real, pray for each other, and be healed. Um, here's a kind of closing thing with that. We'll move on. But vulnerability within Christian community is like a salve for our wounded souls that are worn out from our relationally shallow world. All right? Um, and we, we all need that. Uh, I think about this morning, I was at the BCM for, for they do a BCM men's prayer breakfast on, on Wednesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. If you're a dude, you should totally come sometime. It's good food, pancakes. You can literally eat for free all day. You could do, go to prayer breakfast, Wednesday lunch, and then come here and never pay for a meal all day. And so you're welcome. Um, this morning, they, they're, they're doing a Bible study through Second Timothy. And so we went, and uh, me, Jared, and Colby were there today and um, uh, ate some pancakes and then uh, heard a Bible study on Second Timothy. And then we broke up into prayer groups. And man, I was just so blown away this morning um, by the, the vulnerability that I saw in, in some of the guys that were there, and even some that I heard about later on in the different groups, and, and just how guys who didn't even really know each other super well were just honest with each other uh, in things like, man, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm not having a quiet time. Like, I'm, I'm not reading the Bible, you know? And just uh, and to be able to admit that, but not feel like anyone's going to jump down their throat, but man, are you even a Christian? Like, how can you not ever read the Bible? Like, what's wrong with you? Get your act together. But instead, be like, man... I want to encourage you to start that, and I want to pray for you. And that vulnerability that I saw there was just amazing. I think we all need that in different ways. I'm not saying we all need to wake up and eat pancakes at 7.30 a.m. and pray for each other every morning, but we need those kind of relationships that we can be real. T.O.'s like, yeah, I could do that every morning. <laughs> but, um, but we need those kind of relationships. And so I want to encourage you, be vulnerable. All right, let's move on. We'll get through the rest of this. The rest of it goes a lot quicker, all right, I promise. All right, so let me give you real quick... Um, the type of friend you want to be and you want to have. All right, let me give you three kind of descriptions really quick. Because um, I think this is very helpful for us as we think about, we talked about developing relationships. Now we're talking about what kind of person do we want to be as a friend and do we want to look for. So first, here, here's one. Um, a friend who makes you better. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, you've probably heard it before. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So we want a friend who makes you better. Someone who sharpens you. Think about this. Do your friends make you a better person? Uh, are the people you're spending time with leading you, leading you to love God more, make wiser choices, spend your time better, be better with your money, be a better student, or be a better boyfriend or girlfriend? Because um, remember, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future, right? And so what about spiritually? Uh, are your friends influencing you towards spiritual growth? Um, do they keep you um, pointed toward Christ, and do they encourage you to maturity as a believer, or do they keep you stagnant in your faith and even discourage you from pursuing your faith? Find friends and be a friend who wants to make your other friends better and point them more toward Christ and nothing else. Secondly, a friend who encourages you. 
All right, I told you these would go faster. So a friend who encourages you. Think about this. Do you, do you have friends uh, like David had in the Old Testament where he had Jonathan, who helped him find spiritual strength during times when he was being hunted out by Saul, trying to be killed. And, and um, Jonathan came to him and it literally says, helped him strengthen his hands in God. Um, no matter how spiritually mature you may think you are, I've got to break it to you. You need other people. None of us ever graduate from the need for spiritual community. Um, none of us is immune to failure. We need people to be there for us. And so do you have friends who are there for you when you're down? Or do you just, just have friends who are there for you when things are fun? Uh, do you have friends who will use Scripture to encourage you and pray for you? Because we need those kind of friends who are there for us, like we read earlier in Proverbs, who are there for us you know, even in adversity, right? The third one is this, a friend who tells you the truth. Right, a friend who tells you the truth. Okay, raise your hands. Has anyone ever made a huge mistake before? All right, Grace, what huge mistake did you make? I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no. Do what? No, yeah, yeah, no, me too, right? We, we could spend the rest of the night discussing that. But here's the thing. Don't you learn, when you make huge mistakes, don't you learn who your real friends are in that time? When you totally blow it, isn't that the time you begin to find out who your real friends are and who jumps ship and is done, right? And really, I found that in, in the midst of that, I've discovered who my true friends are. They're the ones that tell me the truth. When I do something super stupid, <laughs> like blow all of my money about, um, that I had for a car on a sound system that I didn't need, like, you know, like, they're the ones who are like, man, that's a cool sound system, but was that the best use of your money? I'm like, yeah, it was actually. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, no, it wasn't. And probably not. And they're like, you know what? You're right. And so we need friends in our lives who tell us the truth, who, even if it hurts, right? Um, Proverbs 27, I'll give you another one here if you're still in Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, okay? Proverbs is so good when it comes to friendship. Um, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says this. I love this passage. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse, I love that word, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And it's so epic. Like, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, right? We'd rather have a friend who's willing to hurt us in order to help us heal than an enemy who just wants to tell us, you know, what we want to hear, wants to tickle our ears, right? Because we need friends that'll confront us uh, even when it hurts. They should do it in a graceful and loving way, but, it, but it's still hard. Um, but it's better to have a true friend speak truth to us um, that hurts but heals us rather than hang around people who always want to tell you what you want to hear but don't really care about your growth, right? So to put it simply, I'll say it this way. Simply put, we need friends that are for us, not just looking for what they can get from us. We need friends that are for us, not just looking for what they can get from us, right? Okay, so those are three things I think are really key in being a good friend, the kind of friends you need in your life. So I want to give you kind of the, the flip side of that, the type of friend that no person needs. <laughs> all right, and I, I have two kind of aspects of this. All right, but remember, what's our principle? Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. So we've got to be very careful about who's in our core group. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 simply says this. says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Your grandma may have quoted that to you back in the day, right? But bad company ruins good morals. I think that's true. Think about this. Uh, ever seen a tree uprooted before? Yeah. 
I'm always amazed. We were talking about this earlier today. I'm always amazed when, like, when you see a tree get uprooted, how like crazy the root system is in a tree. Like, you never think it's as big as it is, right? A lot of times the root system is almost bigger than like the branches, right? Or like usually it's equal, right? Well, think about this. Our lives are like a tree, okay? If we don't have a strong root system, right, that keeps us firm and rooted in, in the Lord, then we will be easily blown back and forth and susceptible to being blown over, almost like a tree. Like you think about a huge tree, if it didn't have a very strong root system, if a storm came around, it's over, right? Same thing for us. If we don't have a strong core group of believing friends who are there for us in the ways we talked about, then we have no ability to be able to reach out to non-Christians and reach out to people who don't know Christ. Right? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be friends with non-Christians. We definitely should, and I will talk about that in a second. But we need that core root system, because if we don't, what's going to happen? We surround ourselves with people who don't follow Christ, and if we're, we don't have that strong community in that core, we're going to be blown away. We're not going to have that strong foundation to keep us rooted in the Lord. Does that make sense? You kind of hear what I'm saying? All right. I've seen it in my own friends' lives. If they begin to drift away, even in the name of being missional, if they drift away and begin to disconnect themselves from a strong support system of Christians, before they know it, their mission turns into a, a life that's gone many ways away from the Lord, right? So I think it's really key in that, all right? But here's the thing. Think about this, and I'll give you these two points in a second. Um, think about Jesus yet again. I keep pointing back to Christ, but I think he's a perfect model of being a good friend. Did Jesus love everyone equally? No. Why not? Exactly, right? Jesus loved everyone equally, right? He, lo- he still loves everyone equally, but he did not treat everyone equally, right? He had 12 disciples, right? Did he spend the same amount of time with all 12 disciples? No, right? He spent a lot more time with Peter, James, and John. He preached in front of the, uh, the crowds, right? But did he spend all his time in front of the crowds? No, they'd come to him and be like, Jesus, we saw this in Mark last semester. Like, they'd come to him and be like, hey, come do some more miracles. He'd be like, no, I've actually got to go, and I need to spend some time with my Heavenly Father and pray. I'm, I'm going to spend 40 days in the wilderness, like, peace out. Like, I'm going on a super sabbatical up in the wilderness for, like, for a while, right? He's like, I'm going. So, <laughs> literally, sabbatical, it's Sabbath, right? So, um, so, Jesus, he loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat everyone equally. He set boundaries on certain relationships, and so for us, we have to use the same principle, right? We're called to love everyone equally, but we're not called to treat everyone equally. We have to guard our core relationships in life in order that we have the goal of being able to reach out farther and reach more people and befriend more people for Christ. So let me, really quickly, let me give you these two things. Uh, we don't need close friends that, dot, 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 right? Uh, we don't need someone who distracts us from God's plan, all right. Like I said, these are close friends. I'm not saying you shouldn't be friends with these people at all. Right? We don't need people who distract us from God's plan. If our friends are leading us to doubt our faith, not go to church, not read the Bible, be materialistic, care more about popularity than character, focus too much on ourselves, or, or get caught in worldly things rather than focusing on spiritual things, we don't need those people as our close friends. Because, yet again, your five closest friends, you're the average of your five closest friends, right? So if our five closest friends are people who are far from Christ, that's going to be some serious toll on your relationship with Christ. All right? Second, we don't need someone who continually tempts us to sin. 
We don't need someone who continually tempts us to sin. If our friends are always gossiping, talking trash about people, complaining, leading us to lust, either through pornographic movies or TV shows, uh, encouraging addictions in our lives, if they're encouraging us to embrace a party lifestyle, we don't need those people as our close friends. I'm not saying we don't be friends with them, but we don't need them as our core close friends, right? Because yet again, they have a profound impact on us. Our inner circle of friends need to be people who are pointing us to Christ, not away from him. Pointing us to Christ. And away from but here's the tension. I see it on your faces right now, right? Here's the tension. You're like, well, so should we avoid people who distract us from God and tempt us to sin? Aren't we supposed to like befriend them and, and be a light? All right, and, and be a salt, you know, be salt of the earth for Christ? Well, guess what? The answer is yes to both those things. Right? We have to um, that's the tension we live in. The key is how we define those relationships and what boundaries we draw with people and what kind of influence we let them have on us. And so we had to learn the art of setting boundaries in relationships and realizing, you know what, sometimes we've got friends who, if we didn't set certain boundaries in that relationship, they would have an influence on us that would point us and lead us away from Christ. And so it may mean that with certain friends in life, we have to have hard conversations where we're like, you know what, I love you. You're a great friend. I want to keep spending time with you. But when I spend a lot of time with you and we go out to these certain places to do these certain things, it, it hurts me spiritually. It tempts me um, to do certain things. Like when we go to these certain places and you're always pointing out you know, women and objectifying women and, and taking my mind to these places that doesn't need to go. I'm a follower of Christ. I don't need those things. I'm moving in a different direction. So either, we, either that gets cut out and you stop doing that with me or our friendship has to look different. You know, I'm not saying we'd be snobs, and we'll talk about that in a second, but we've got to set proper boundaries and definitions of our relationships, and we have to guard that core. Yet again, the root system. We've got to keep that um, guarded. So here's the last thing, and we'll finish up tonight. All right, here's the last thing. One thing you should never stop doing. All right, this is a commitment I want us to make. I will never stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. I will never stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Let me read it to you. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also um, to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here's the worst thing that could happen from tonight's message is that we become a bunch of religious snobs, Christian bubble, holy huddle, who never wants to spend any time with non-Christians. That's, that's the worst thing that could happen tonight from this message. That's not the heart behind it at all. I hope you've understood that. Because we should never be religious snobs and be afraid of people who are too, too dirty for us. Because if we do that, what do we become? Modern-day Pharisees. We become the modern-day Pharisees who think we're just too good for the quote-unquote sinners of the world. Because think about Christ yet again. What was he called? A friend of sinners, right? He spent so much time with some of them that he was called a glutton and a drunkard. It wasn't an accurate definition, but that's what some people thought of him. He didn't unfriend sinners, right? He didn't defriend them. He loved them in the midst of their sin. People he distanced himself from were not the sinners, but the hypocrites, right? He spent plenty, plenty of time with sinners. Uh, so we have to live in this tension then of guarding our closest friendships and keeping that strong core, but while also looking out for ways to love and befriend people who need Christ. So there's a tension there that we, there's no easy answer for, but we've got to live in that tension, right? 
guitars only function when there's a lot of when there's proper tension on that guitar, right? In the strings. In the same way, in our social lives, there's a tension here that's almost necessary to keep things functioning. Okay, you like that analogy? It's good. All right, so <laughs> I thought about that for a while. All right, so um, all right, let's finish up with this, okay? So maybe I don't know all y'all in super profound ways. So maybe you're here tonight and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe a lot of this stuff we've talked about about needing forgiveness is kind of foreign to you. And so maybe it's from someone here tonight who recognizes their need for forgiveness from the, the wrong they've done, the sins they've done. Um, but maybe you're not sure if Jesus could, would ever forgive you. Uh, well, I want to stand up here. We've been talking about Christ being the friend of sinners. I want to let you know that Christ died on the cross for your sins so that God's love could be turned toward you tonight. And so there's no person in this room um, who's too far off from God to be saved. And so Jesus pursued and befriended sinners when he was on earth, and he still does the same thing today. And so maybe you want to follow Christ tonight. I'd love to talk to you about that later on. Uh, but for the rest of us who have done that, we've got a few questions I want you to discuss. So I'm going to give you about 10 minutes here, um, 10 to 15 minutes, kind of just see how conversation goes, um, that we've got about four questions. But you guys take some time to look at those and discuss, and uh, we will go from there. Okay?